Hello, everybody. This is John from Cosmos School. Welcome to another episode of Cosmos with a K. I'm here in San Francisco with Esteban from Reach Capital. Reach is a VC firm that invests in educational technology companies. Today, we'll be talking about a little bit about the edtech market, but most importantly about gaming and education, and about how we can make education more fun. Enjoy this episode. All right, I'm here with Esteban Sosnik from Reach Capital. Hi, Esteban. Hi, how are you? Thanks for coming Good. here. Well, thanks for making the time. So, as always, I would like to start by you introducing yourself um, shortly. What do you do at Reach? Um, how did you, you know, end up here? Sure. Yeah, I'm Esteban. I'm a general partner at Reach Capital. We're a venture capital firm focused on education technology startups. Um, my journey is um, kind of non-traditional. I started, I came to school uh, in the U.S. I'm originally from Argentina. And then I started working in business in, in investment banking originally. And then I led a venture capital fund doing seed investments. So very early stage investments in startups across Latin America. And I fell in love with entrepreneurship and, and so I pitched the team uh, to start my own company. So after a couple of iterations, ended up uh, starting uh, a video game develop, a development company um, called Wanaco Games. Um, so develop, that led me to a 12-year career in game development. So I started mm -hmm. two companies, and they both successfully exited. The first one, Wanaco Games, got acquired by Vivendi Games. I eventually became Activision. And then I came back to the world of gaming um, with the emergence of social gaming. Um, and that company got acquired by DNA, a Japanese publicly traded company. So in that journey, uh, I, um, we, we developed a few educational games, which was an area I was very passionate on. And uh, we didn't really do that well and realized how many opportunities there were in educational games, but also how hard it was. So as I was thinking about in 2013, about next steps of my career, I was really intrigued by educational technologies and digital learning. And uh, I met this uh, incredible team at New Schools Venture Fund, which is a philanthropic organization out of Oakland, funding education entrepreneurs in the mostly nonprofit world and some for profit. Mm -hmm. And together, we created a program in partnership with Zynga um, to support educational gaming entrepreneurs. Um, so uh, I created and led that program. It was called Collab. So I was able to kind of bring the best of education technology with the best of gaming uh, to support these entrepreneurs. And I thought, you know, if somebody's going to figure it out, it has to have that, that, that combination. I realized as an entrepreneur how hard it was. So that program... Um, when it was operated for about three years, funded primarily through Zynga's nonprofit, mm -hmm. and um, it was uh, quite successful. Um, but I, you know, part of, of um, my realization is how hard that business was, mm -hmm. but also how many opportunities in kind of more general ed tech there were. But general, I mean things beyond just gaming. This was only for startups at the intersection of games and learning. Yeah. 
Um, so the team at New Schools, um, which was operating under the nonprofit, was investing. I was working with the team investing in for-profit startups. And I really loved that team. And I really got excited about the companies they were investing on. Mm-hmm. So collectively, we decided to spin out of New Schools, uh, form a for-profit fund, um, because we were seeing a lot of these companies grow a lot and, and, um, and really kind of fundraise from other investors with... Uh, which were getting most of the upside for these companies while the fund was kind of helping them get started. So we decided to to go uh, for profit, build kind of an iconic um, venture uh, brand for impact investing, particularly focused on education. Um, So we quickly went from a $10 million fund, which was under a nonprofit, to a $50 plus million fund, which was for profit. Mm -hmm. Um, It turns out when you ask people for money, and you promise some return, it's much easier to get them than when you're just asking for a grant. <clears throat> so that um, that was um, a great initial um, product market fit, I would say. And, and we started investing very successfully. Um, Reach One was formed in 2015. I became a partner. We're a partnership of four people. Mm-hmm. And we have a, a, another four people on the team, investment team. Um, so we're a team of, of eight investment professionals. Um, and uh, we've invested in about 30 companies in our first fund. And in 2018, um, we raised Reach2, which is an $80 million, um, $82 million fund. Um, and we're starting, we're about half done, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we're about a quarter to half done investing on that fund. So the market is moving quite rapidly. And um, I think it's, it's kind of a pleasure to come back to investing and advising companies after having spent 12 years building companies myself and going through all acquisitions. So yeah. kind of reflecting a lot on that experience and, and really learning about education, which is um, the area that I'm most passionate about, that I feel beyond climate change probably is the area where we can help the world the most and yeah. um, augment human potential and, 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 and really change the dent of humanity the most by by helping people get access to high quality education. Cool, uh, that's an impressive uh, you know uh, CV so far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I um, I want to talk about in the in this podcast uh, episode uh, more about um, intersection of gaming and education as uh, that's your background and also at Cosmos School that's a little bit the area we're uh, focusing at. Um, but just one question. Um, um, from an investing point of view, you know, um, education um, is like you would say, okay, if you want to invest and say, how do I make the most money? Most people wouldn't say invest in education startups. Um, I think that's the reason also a lot of smart entrepreneurs don't go into education, but into more um, cool areas. I want to say like finance <laughs> or something where a lot of more money is flowing. Mm-hmm. And also and also investors, like there are not many um big at tech VCs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your, what do you think of that? <laughs> I think that reflects the past, but not the future, right? Mm-hmm. Um, education in, in general and technology in particular has changed a lot and is changing dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I would summarize it is we used to think when generally people tend to think about education, they think of the schooling years, right? You know, essentially going from five to six years old of kindergarten, to 18 when you graduate high school and a percentage of that people go on to college and some even to master's degree. So kind of mm-hmm. the five to 25, you know, range of your of years old of your life. That's traditionally how people think of, of education. 
I would argue that today, education, it's essentially yeah. from cradle, from the moment you're born mm-hmm. uh, until the moment pretty much you die. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's an, it, become, it, it goes from a luxury and something you do once in your life to really necessity and something that you need to keep, keep doing to progress, um, particularly economically, you know, with the, everything going on around automation and industries and jobs disappearing and new jobs emerging mm-hmm. that we don't even know what they are. There's a statistic that probably a lot of people heard that about um, two thirds of the kids that are in school today will work in jobs that still don't exist and sometimes even industries that still don't exist. So mm-hmm. we're preparing kids for a world of uncertainty. And so, you know, education really, you know, has become really very much like food and potable water and a lot of other things that we kind of consume throughout our lives. We, I feel education mm-hmm. has really expanded beyond those kind of 20 years that we used to think. So that really expands the potential market to pretty much all of humanity. So that's one mm-hmm. piece. Um, the second piece is institutions. Uh, selling into institutions has changed dramatically as well. It used to be, so if you are, are in the business of selling technology to schools or universities, traditionally it used to be very unsexy and appealing because this used to be very generally compliance-driven mm-hmm. uh, technology solutions that were sold top-down, so generally sold to governments or, or large districts, and then those districts or governments would push it down to the schools or to the universities. Um, that pretty much completely flipped a few years ago with the introduction of both um, connectivity in the classrooms everywhere and to uh, devices, low-cost devices, obviously the iPhone in the case of colleges, but also in the case of um, you know elementary school and high school Chromebooks uh, and iPads. Mm-hmm. Um, so that completely changed. And the, the reason why that changed the model is that now um, teachers and students can bring technology to the classroom and start using it without asking for permission. So yeah. we're, we start, we saw and really um, we, start, we funded a lot of, pro, of, of, of companies that were a, you know, using the freemium model into school, which was unheard of. Mm-hmm. And um, so where the technologists used um, pretty much some, many times for free, started being used by maybe a teacher or a couple of teachers in a school. Mm-hmm. And as soon as more teachers wanted to use it, then the company would upsell, um, would upsell subscriptions. Mm-hmm. So that gives you a couple of things that are, are pretty unprecedented. One is time to market. When you have to knock on the door of every district to sell a solution that's very compliance driven, those are long sales processes. Mm-hmm. Now, pretty much with a very much like with social media and with really consumer type apps, you can really get, we have companies that <clears throat> have achieved 90% district penetration within a couple of years. Oh. So that's unheard of. And two, uh, the monetization and the impact potential because you're really only charging um, or primarily charging schools who are already using the solution. Mm-hmm. It used to be because these sales were top down yeah. that they, you know a teacher would get a computer and be like, oh, now you've got a computer uh, in your classroom and they didn't even know what to do with it. In developing countries, sometimes you didn't even have electricity in the schools <laughs> for most of the day. But um, but at least, you know, in most occasions, they didn't even, you know, they, they had very, very uh, low quality software, very clunky systems. Um, so now, now it's the opposite, right? Like, you know, teachers are using it on their own, professors and university students. And then the, the district administrator or the principal of the school is buying once they see that there's usage and there's impact on the on the classroom. So um, 
as impact investors, that means a lot to us because we're we're um, using um, you know school money once the product is is actually being used and not selling it to then put it back in a corner. Yeah. So for us, product quality engagement and impact on learning is critical as we look for investments. Mm-hmm. So this completely changed the the uh, the market. Going back to your question mm-hmm. of of like. Um, being able to target pretty much all of humanity and not only 20 to 25 years old, which which is kind of a limited limited market for, for a big startup to emerge from, mm-hmm. but also not only kind of you know a lot of consumer models we're seeing, but uh, we're seeing companies start adopting uh, education solutions. Millennials value education and career progression mm-hmm. as a benefit more than any other benefit. There was recently I think a PricewaterhouseCooper survey that they ask across all categories of benefits like more holidays more salary more this and that club memberships which is the preferred by millennials and the number one category was things related to education and career advancement people understand the value of that and um so um so there's a lot of companies that are now investing in, in education solutions uh, definitely consumers and and now schools and universities can also invest in this freemium way so you can penetrate them uh, pretty seamlessly from the bottoms up. Mm-hmm. So all that combined, I'd say, kind of completely changes the game of the industry. And I, I, truly, believe, I truly believe that there'll be you know, big, big companies, uh, profitable companies, um, very profitable, very scale, um, very large companies built in education that also have wonderful impact. So um, that's, that's where we're, those are the companies we, we, we're, we're looking for and we're cool. uh, investing on. Yeah, I agree. Um, I hope more, more people start seeing it this way too. <laughs> um, cool. So let's get back to the gaming. Um, you, you said you, you tried a couple of educational games um, with your own studios um, and with, with Colab. Um, c- can you give some examples and what, why, why, why is it hard to make educational games? Sure. Well, I would say, um, yeah, I mean, there, so one category of games that, that's very, um, the first thing that comes to mind when you think educational games, there are a ton of applications that you can download uh, on, an, on an iPhone or an, on an Android device that are focused on early childhood, like, you know, pre-kindergarten, you know, through second grade, maybe, mm-hmm. of the kind of ABCs, one, two, threes, learning to, learning, some learning to read, like Homer, mm-hmm. uh, mathematics. There's one, you know, big solution called ABC Mouse that, you know, gets kids ready, kind of kindergarten readiness. Um, and, and, you know, clearly in the early years of education, you know, playfulness is a big part of, uh, of, of learning, that's how you discover the world. That's eventually lost in the uh, as as we grow older, unfortunately. Um, so there's a lot of apps that are targeted. For example, that's one 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 category. Um, the reason why so that that'd be an example. Mm-hmm. The reason I feel ultimately one of the big reasons why this is such a hard space or it's hard, it's a hard space is because a lot of the products end up feeling like chocolate covered broccoli, right? So if you think about it is, you know, it's appealing initially because they have fine graphics, fine music, it looks like a game, but really for the product to be educational and really make a dent on on, on kids learning, you know, there's a certain amount of rockness and kind of, you know, um, challenge you need to, to incorporate that ends up being a broccoli. So 
at this kind of a little bit of, you know, in, in the world of business generally, when you're trying to do two things partially, it's super hard, if not impossible to make it work. Yeah. I wouldn't say impossible, but really, really hard to make it work. So you're either a broccoli and just, you know, make a fun broccoli or you're a chocolate with, you know, you know, organic, organic cacao or something. Yeah. But like define where you're at. Most companies are in that middle. Yeah. And that's what generally um, takes them to the path because what, what ends up happening is particularly as kids start getting their own kind of agency and, and making their own decisions and they're not, you know, their entertainment is not driven by their parents. So as they turn six, seven, eight years old, mm -hmm. they clearly start, you know, if they're going to be spending time playing a game, they rather spend it on games that are designed for engagement and just fun. Um, so parents are kind of mixed feelings because it's like the, it's kind of a game but the kid doesn't really want to do it if it's going to be you know if it's not as fun as the other games they have so it's it, this kind of in between it's really what I feel kind of kills companies and that's why it's really hard to incorporate um, to, to really incorporate the best of gaming and the best of, of learning and you need to decide whether you're kind of on that spectrum whether you're more of a game or more of a learning and and maybe use elements of the other but really understand where where you sit and, and all your messaging and your design has to be very focused on on that core value proposition yeah it's interesting we just had this same discussion for like two hours i think on monday internally with the team um because um you know we're like exactly like we can it, it it's impossible or it seems impossible to make um, a, a fun game also educational mm -hmm. and if you try to sneak in elements of education into the fun game kids or like people will just stop playing it right on the other side how if you look at school like like let's say um, middle school high school okay um, kids all like generally kids find school boring don't want to go to school in generally speaking and as, as soon as they have free time they go and play games or hang out with their friends. Mm -hmm. But why would a kid choose to play an educational game that's only half as fun as Fortnite? Right, you know, right, right. Um, you know, very yeah, few kids do yeah. that, right? That's why like, it's, yeah. it's interesting because the games that, I would say very few games that have intentionally tried to be educational games have succeeded, while there's a handful of n games that were not intended for educational purposes but ended up being quite educational. So a game that typically comes up in these conversations is civilization, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people have grown up with this game, learning about history and how the different elements combined and, and historical processes. And, and that was like an incredible, that was an engaging, just entertaining game that yeah. had a lot of interesting um, information on it and where you could really see a simulation of, of, of big events in world history. Um, others are things like Minecraft, right? Mm -hmm. Minecraft kind of repurposed was a perfect kind of canvas or play, kind of playground that can be um, used for educational purposes. Now we're starting to see a little bit of that, I think, with Roblox. Um, mm -hmm. there, there used to be yeah other other games that um, uh, that have used educational for physics. I remember I forgot the, the name of it, but so um, you know, but those are games that new that they wanted to make a game. They just wanted to make an entertaining experience for, for people, but ended up kind of um, building into it elements that made, made those games also enriching from a kind of educational perspective. 
Um, more like a side effect. Exactly. Like unintended even. Exactly. Yeah. So I think those are good examples of people who decide not wear games. That we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll bring some educational, sometimes intended, sometimes not intended, but we'll bring some elements that will make it also enriching and educational. But then otherwise, like the ABC Mouse of the world, which is also another very successful company, they're clearly, if you look at their graphics and a lot of the user experience, looks pretty arcane and not really kid-focused mm -hmm. because I don't feel they are. They are parent-focused. They know the payer is the parent and they know this is an educational tool and they want to make sure that parents value the education that the kids are getting. So they value the parent more than you know the engagement of the parent and the value proposition to the parent than, the, than to the kids. So they're making it really, it's an educational experience with game elements. So they are, you know, each one of those civilization is on, the, on, the, on that spectrum of yeah. like, you know, gaming to education. It's it's gaming with education elements and ABC Mouse, it's education with some gaming elements. Most people are in the middle and that's when it gets really yeah. muddy and, and very complicated to, um, to stand out and, and build a, a, big, a big business out of it. So how, how I mean, completely agree, but how, what is like a good approach to solve this? Like, can we make games that are educational and fun? Definitely, I, I, I totally, I, I think so. I think, but I think the, uh, I think ultimately it comes to, to the saying, <clears throat> this paper, the job to be done, right? What's your job to be done? Are you helping, you know, in the case of ABC Mouse, let's say they're helping parents who are anxious um, about kids, kids, you know, there's all kinds of opinions and I have very strong personal opinions around, um, around this need, but you know, they clearly identified parents who really want their kids to, to be uh, school ready with all the statistics about kids that don't reach certain academic achievements mm -hmm. um, that I personally don't share. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, they, they clearly, they clearly understand the job they're doing. The job to be done for them is, you know, let's, let's uh, calm these parents who are anxious about kids um, not being school ready and let's, let's try to um, present them with this technology that will improve, you know, that will facilitate that school readiness process. Yeah. So if you're, um, I would say we have companies like Class Dojo. You know that's a communication started as a behavioral management tool for the classroom. Mm -hmm. You know, um, um, you know, evolved into more of a communication, and it has a lot of wonderful gaming elements: the user experience, the avatars, point systems, rewards. But they know what they're not a game. They know they're a communication app for parent for for elementary school teachers to communicate with the parents. Yeah. So their job to be done is very clear. So I think that's ultimately what you need to. I think the the paper talks about you know what job are your customers hiring you to do yeah. for them, which is essentially what's the pain point you're solving, yeah. and that's a critical piece. Then then you can you know you can decide based on that job, should I be more, more of a game or should I be more of an education product and with gaming elements, but yeah. um, ultimately constant focusing on, on your customer and, and um, yeah, and, 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 and what's a, what's, what's, what's a pain point that, that you're solving. So starting, starting with that, as opposed to starting with, with just the goal of making a ed fun educational game uh, uh, mm -hmm. per se. Okay. Um, so for, you know, in the same kind of like s similar topic as um, what I said before, kids usually don't like school. They don't, they don't think it's fun. Mm -hmm. um, well, actually, you'll be surprised. I mean, kids love school when they're little. Yeah. They, lo they lose a lot of engagement as they grow up. 
um, particularly middle and high school. I think about a a third of high school students are engaged in the in the classroom. Yeah. Um, Yeah. How can we solve that problem? Yeah. That seems to be like a kind of like misalignment of. Totally. That's a critical. That's a critical um, problem that schools have, and at least in the U.S. has become very uh, much of a priority for school leaders. Um, so we actually invested in a lot of companies that are focused on engagement, you know, engagement, you know, creating um, student engagement in the classroom. And mm-hmm. really technology is wonderfully fit for that, not only because it can have colors and music and, and kind of appealing things, eye-catching, which is really kind of not, not the point, but most importantly because um, they allow you to have experiences that are kind of um, you know, kind of personalized, you know, in a, in a, in a way of like, you know, targeted. Um, so for example, we have companies, a company called Newsela in our portfolio where we helped them start and we invested mm-hmm. throughout the years with them. And Newsela is, um, a reading platform, uh, a literacy platform that uh, started by, um, in generating, uh, articles, news of the day. I think they chose five news of the day. And then they, they would they, they would have technology and editors write the, that article under five different uh, under five different reading levels. Mm-hmm. So what happens is that most classrooms in America they might have like you know ten years old, but you know amongst thirty the thirty kids that tend to be in classrooms there might be three or four different reading levels, yeah. right? So traditionally, when previous to you know previous to digital technologies. The way you would solve for that is like every kid gets a different reading material based on their based on their um, reading level, mm-hmm. and the problem with that is that first of all there's no sharing of information because they you know everybody's reading about something different so you cannot really yeah. discuss have a classroom discussion, right. and second of all there's a lot of um, there's some stigmatization right the kids who are reading lower level feel very embarrassed mm-hmm. uh, as opposed you know kids who are reading very high level the content is pretty obvious. Um, kind of the, the, the level of content uh, is pretty obvious to, to the kids. So it becomes stigmatized. With things like Newsela, they, they, they kill those two problems because number one, everybody's reading about the same content. You might be reading about you know, the problems with the Boeing 747 Max, but everybody's reading about the same issue except that you know, some kids are using extra vocabulary and extra you know, longer sentences or more complex paragraphs and others are reading at a more basic level, but they're reading about the same issue, so then they can all read and then they can discuss together mm-hmm. and learn from each other. They, everybody's understanding. And also, there's no stigmatization because they're all you know, reading the same, the same product. It's just at different reading levels. So that type of, you know, that's what I call, for example, a good use of personalization in that, yeah. you know, that's, that's more, it's kind of adapted to your needs. Um, but really, you know, you know, that would be impossible to do in a printed, kind of in a yeah. pretty impossible to do in a in a world of printed and one one too many, right? One too yeah. many uh, kind of traditional textbook instruction, right? Textbook based right. instruction. The other company is a company we invested called Nearpod, and Nearpod is kind of an operating system for the classroom where um, teachers can deploy content to the to, to to students who have a screen in front of them, being a laptop, an iPad. Um, or an iPhone, really, and um, or a mobile phone, and um, and yeah, there as well. You can let them. You, you can all like direct that they all follow the same content, or you can you know give them freedom. You can give quizzes, and everybody is responding to quizzes. Really, an interactive um, operating system, and uh, and you can gather information. It used to be, for example, that people 
you know, in my days going to school, the teacher would ask, and then, you know, when they ask a question, people would raise their hands and they have kind of some kind of idea of like who's raising hands, who's not, who's participating. With Nearpod, everybody can participate and everybody's kind of responses are, are, are recorded in the system. So the teacher can then look back and be like, oh, actually, this person is constantly wrong, this person is constantly right, or, you know, like they can really uh, target everybody's needs. Um, or this question, everybody got it wrong. It's, you know, probably I should go over this, over this um, subject more. So that's only in a, in a quiz or multiple, multiple functionalities for this app. But that, that just gives you an idea of like uh, how it can really bring all the students together and really, um, and really uh, uh, um, highlight for the, for the teacher the data about every single student in the classroom and not only the ones who are talking or who are sitting yeah. in the first row, which tend to be traditionally where teachers put most of their attention. True. So that's that's kind of critical for engagement, right? The lack of engagement is like, you know, think about the kid in the last row, you know, looking at the roof or thinking about, you know, in high school, I guess, where they're going to go out tonight yeah. or, you know, or, or, or when is their next, you know, basketball practice or something. Right. And, you know, how do we make sure that through technology we really have, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, control of, of the whole classroom. Uh, we now invested in a company called TeachFX, which records... Um, records uh, classes for teachers and let them know how, ma- how much of their talk is, you know, how much of teacher talk they have versus student talk, how oh, many okay. are, awesome. student, are all the students talking or only a portion of the students, and eventually can maybe even go farther to think about uh, are the same students talking all the time. So technology can really highlight, like, you know, really bring everybody together in the learning experience. And with some, some of them are going to be appealing experiences, but others will be just around making sure that everybody's involved and giving teachers the tools to highlight, hey, you're not doing a good job. Like, you know, there's 40% of your students who never talk yeah. or, who, you know, so at a very minimum, you would expect the teacher to, to, be, to, be, to react to something like that, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. So that's, that's a lot of our technologies. Um, address this issue of engagement in those ways. Then there are others, like there's a company which we love called Flocabulary. Mm-hmm. So they do they um, they do music based kind of rap mo- mo- hip hop rap based videos mm-hmm. uh, with educational content. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if you've seen it with kids, but I've seen it with my with my own. Where sometimes they would like not remember a lot of things that are talked in school, and you're like, you know, what what do you do today? And they yeah. cannot even answer. But then they know the lyrics of their hip hop song, like, you know, <laughs> from the first to the last word. And in, like at a speed, I'm like, you only heard that once and you remember. So they're using that magic. There's something in music and lyrics that yeah. really appeals to kids. So they embed it. But they know it's, a, you know, again, going to the gaming thing, they know it's an educational tool, but they embed educational content within music videos, right. which are super appealing, super fun. And it's a good refresher for kids. It's not going to be, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a refresher practice. Uh, type of video or introductory to a new subject or maybe a review for a, for a, for a subject that you just studied yeah. and those are super engaging so the, you know those type of media are also very exciting and those weren't possible back in the days right yeah. um, so they have thousands of videos uh, on their platform yeah. and, uh, we, and that's very much when a school buys that they are thinking about engagement right they're okay, thinking yeah. about how do I engage my students and um, and by, by, by the by the way, like equitably, right? Like, you know, with music that's engaging for everybody, you know, mm-hmm. of all races, of all genders and, and all of that. Um, right. So that's a big initiative, I would say, particularly mm-hmm. by, by K 
schools, you know, kindergarten through high school. Universities, I think, have a maybe a little bit of a different philosophy yeah. on engagement. They think about it mostly as retention of like customers, really, <laughs> because mm-hmm. students pay tuition. Uh, yeah. So they think about like, hey, I want to make sure that these students are advancing in classes and going attending classes and all of that. So they think about it less as a classroom engagement and more like overall university experience. But in K-12, uh, there's definitely a big push towards engagement, yeah. engagement products. And a lot of our companies are, are working on that. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. Um, and I'm sure, you know, they are making the classroom more, more engaging. Um, I always have uh, kind of have a strong opinion here and um, saying that for me, um, I like to think about more fundamental uh, ways of how can we change the educational system? Because um, it seems kind of like outdated where you just put students in these, in these uh, grade levels based on age um, and then like one you know, one um, consequence of that is that you now need a teacher tool that um, has different de- um, reading levels, for example. And that's a consequence because all 10-year-olds are in grade X, you know. Um, so, and also that, you know, even if you do a private school, um, in the States it's more liberal, liberal but most countries, mm-hmm. um, the, the government says, okay, you have to teach these and these and these subjects, like, and how... For me, as you said, um, we don't even know where people are going to work in, in 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, why do I now need to learn about, about rivers, you know? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, but the teacher has to teach it or, yeah. you know. Yeah. So how can we add up to think about those topics? Yeah. I think it's really interesting to think about it. Yeah. It's also super hard to bring on change in yeah. that area because you're yeah. dependent on law yeah. and legislation. But um, do, do you... Do you um, have any ideas there? Any companies that? Yeah. Um, well, yeah. D- definitely have a lot of ideas. Personally, my, my son goes to to a school that that's very focused on not necessarily you know not fully on academic advancement, mm-hmm. but you know academic, but also with um, growing their mindset as as kind of a, a change maker and, cool. and thinking yeah. about his role in society and also developing social emotional skills. Yeah. The the holy grail though like you know it's kind of it's a balance of like you know there's some w- wonderful things about project-based learning yeah. i feel that can be accomplished by collaboration and um the problem when when you i think those schools that it has a responsibility in my view of introducing to kids things that they might not be naturally interested in mm-hmm. you know i remember once i went to a very kind of independent lab school here in the in the bay area and um i saw a kid in the corner coding um, on, by his own in writing code this was like a probably 12 year old mm-hmm. and I asked and he's like yeah I spent most of my day coding because that's what I love to do and the school mm-hmm. was very proud of that yeah. and I thought to myself well what's the role of the school then if they mm-hmm. you know he might as well why, why isn't he at home if he's going to be coding on his own probably he knows more of coding or he'll soon know more than the, his teachers yeah. I feel the role of the school is to present students as well you know you know definitely uh, let you go follow your passion, but also introduce you to things that you, otherwise you wouldn't do, right? I think that's how that's how we grow. Put us, uh, uh, you know, in a place of out of our zone of comfort. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I remember in my school, we I had a, a parent who was a wonderful person, but he said we were at a concert at a, at a at a school concert, and he said, "I don't understand why all the kids have to go to stage. My 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 son or daughter doesn't like you know singing in front of people." 
I don't know why they need to m- make him go through this. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I said, well, that, I think that's actually the role of school. If he doesn't, get to, if he doesn't enjoy it, he's never going to do it in his life. And he might sh- actually discover something completely new. So going through those experiences that push you out of your zone of comfort, I think are, are, pretty, are really important. And I think that's part of the role of school. So, mm-hmm. so I think there's a balance. That's gonna, there, there's got to be a balance between interest-based you know, learning and really kind of mandatory learning on one side. And the other balance, maybe in another matrix, is, you know, project-based, where it's very collaborative and, you know, the assessment is more soft, right? Yeah. Like there's no, you know, sometimes great because how do you assess creativity, right? Like there's some things that are really hard to assess. But then there's some, you know, fundamental knowledge that it's been studied by pedagogues and child development experts for decades and decades now that are really fundamental to kids learn, you know, knowing how to read, you know, regardless yeah. of the medium and the world will will all have to understand now probably more than ever, yeah. right? Because all the fake news and, yeah. you know, we need to understand how to read, how to read between the lines, how to understand implicit, implicit messages in, in content. Same thing with, with mathematics. There's no doubt we're going to a world of like software dominating large part of the world. And if you want to be, you know, creative force in that understanding, having at least a language of like understanding kind of the world of logic and mathematics of the basis of engineering. So all these things are, are important. And I would say uh, it'd be a pity if, um, if, if we let kids just choose their own adventure and yeah. not, uh, I think it'd be, it'd be a great, um, Lack of responsibility, I feel, uh, by the, on the side of of, of schools um, to let that happen. So I think I think it's a fine balance, and it's 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 a it's a hard one. It's a hard one to kind of be in the middle where you have kind of enough of everything, uh, enough of academic rigor, but also enough of project-based learning and collaborative, creative, creative projects, and and you know and a bit of interest space, but a bit of also mandatory. It's really hard balance to. A hard balance to 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 achieve, and um, and and that's why I think ultimately the schools that do it best, they're run by amazing people, and they have incredible teachers, mm-hmm. most importantly, yeah. and um, and uh, that's why I believe we don't invest in schools per se, and we believe education, particularly for for little ones, it's a human, it's a human. They might use technology as a tool, like in all honesty, how they've used a blackboard and a chalk forever that's right. also technology it doesn't grow on trees so um so we've used technology forever to teach things and digital tools are just the same it's just a new type of tool that teachers are using but ultimately school experiences are very much of a human uh, experience and I, I i truly believe that uh, um, that's a critical function of all education uh, human relationships um and uh, yeah and kind of a human human led process call it right. uh, which makes it very non-scalable very unique <laughs> and very kind of not prone to to large kind of um you know profitable businesses it's it's really um for me it's more an art than a, than a science really <laughs> um so yeah so we, we don't invest in schools particularly physical schools yeah cool um i mean thanks for yeah that's a great answer i think and i would have dozens of more questions <laughs> and i think we could could keep going but um i think it's a good point also to stop uh, our time's up wonderful and um thank you so much for being on the on the podcast uh, esteban well wonderful I'm, i've been a big fan of you for for a while and I, I love what you're working on at, at cosmos so i wish you best of luck and, and thanks, thanks very for much. thanks for the time likewise thanks